morning. Well, it is good to be back with you once again and opening up God's Word. And as Rod said, we are continuing our series here called Songs of the Savior. And the reason that this series is entitled what it is, is four times in the opening chapters of the book of Luke, people are told about the coming of Jesus and they kind of burst into song. So last week we looked at Zechariah who heard about the birth of the Savior and sang a song. Today we're going to look at Mary. Next week we're going to look at the angels. And finally in the fourth week of our series we're going to look at Simeon. So our prayer is, as Rod said, we would be invited into that song with these folks who sing the praises of the Lord. So can we pray together before we launch into God's word? Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And I pray this morning that you would draw us into the worship of your son. Lord, grip us with the reality of the coming of the Savior. Change us. Open our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. And may we be like Mary, captivated, captivated by the wonder of the salvation that the Savior will bring. Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross today. Speak to your people. Lead them, guide them, change them, shape them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to start our message just a little bit differently than we usually do. Um, we are celebrating something very special this weekend. It is actually Brother David Grant's birthday. So will you join here as we sing together? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Now, don't get used to that, all right? I'm not celebrating all your birthdays. But, but here's why I do that. Because the title of the message today is this idea that Jesus is a surprising Savior. And there's something wonderful about a surprise, isn't there? A good surprise, there's something just kind of magical about it. To some degree, all of us appreciating, appreciate being caught off guard by the unanticipated blessing. Maybe it's the compliment from your boss. Perhaps it's the unexpected check in the mail. Maybe it's the gift card that is under your seat. Go ahead. Yeah, look. Go ahead. Go. This is not the Oprah show. No, there's no gift card under there, right? You, didn't, you guys didn't even believe me. Wow, you're like, oh, that's too expensive, right? Yeah. It seems that human beings are hardwired with a disposition for the unexpected. Isn't that true? Don't we all kind of like the unexpected? That's why you root for the underdog. You want the person that isn't expected to win to win. That's why books and movies and TV shows are filled with plot twists and cliffhangers. That's why everyone loves the big reveal on the home renovation shows. And this is why when someone gets engaged, we had two people just get engaged in our congregation. Well, four people. So Jalen gets engaged. What's the first question I ask him? Did you surprise her? right? 
Was it a surprise? Sophie gets engaged and I say, were you taking off guard? Why? Because all of us in some degree know that there is something wonderful about an unexpected surprise. And in part, that's why Jesus came the way he did. He came as a surprising savior. You see, God as the creator is the one responsible for weaving our affinity for the unexpected into the very fabric of the universe. So, unsurprisingly, God chose to send his son in a surprising way. And what a surprise it was. Around six months after Angel after the angel Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah, announcing that his aging wife Elizabeth would have a baby, Gabriel delivered another message, this time to a relative of Elizabeth by the name of Mary. If what Gabriel said about Elizabeth's baby was amazing, what he said about Mary's baby was downright spectacular. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse number 31. Look there with me. And behold... This is Gabriel speaking to Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name, what? Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And to his kingdom there will be no end. Whoa! Back up the bus! This is spectacular about what it says about this child. Mary's baby would be the Savior. That's the meaning of the name Jesus. Jesus means Savior. Mary's child would be great. Mary's child would be the Son of the Most High. And if that is not enough, he would reign over the world. How long? Forever. As the kids say these days, he's kind of a big deal. Right? Jesus is a big deal. And eventually, when Mary joins her expecting relative Elizabeth, the younger woman can no longer contain her joy at being the mother of the Messiah and burst into jubilant song. Mary's response has been become known as the Magnificat because that's the first word of the song in Latin, and the Latin Vulgate was a version of the Bible that was used for centuries and centuries. So it's called the Magnificat for that reason. And here's what she says at the very beginning of her song, verse number 46 of Luke chapter 1, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. But I believe that these words are more than just a description of how Mary was feeling in that moment. I believe they're actually an invitation. Mary is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when you, when you today see the greatness and the glory of this surprising Savior, your soul too should magnify the Lord. Your soul too should rejoice in your God and your Savior. Mary, by extension, is inviting us into her worship of Jesus. And that's really my point today. It's simply this. We must magnify Jesus for the salvation he brings. We too should have a magnificat of our own. When we see Jesus, when we see how great he is, our souls, like Mary's, should magnify the Lord. So what is it about Jesus that Mary is so captured by? Why does her heart soar in such praise? As by this time you might expect, it's a little bit unexpected. 
See what I did there? Expect, unexpected, right? Yeah. This is simply the say that what Mary highlights in her song is that Jesus is a rather surprising Savior. So what I want to do in the next few moments, just look at two things. Two things about the unlikely salvation that Jesus brings. So if you're taking notes, the surprising Savior, number one, God works through improbable people. Now think about it for a minute. Although the Lord could have chosen to send Jesus into the world in any way he saw fit, he chose to have Mary carry his son. Humanly speaking, this seems like a very unlikely choice. I mean, why would you choose Mary? This is made plain as soon as we are introduced to this young woman. Look at verse number 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So why is Mary so improbable? Well, I want to highlight just a couple of things for you. First of all, Mary was an improbable candidate because she was Jewish. Remember at this time in the history of the world, Israel was just a mere puppet state of Rome. It was not a seat of world power, and being of Jewish descent carried with it no unique access to political influence. At this time, few would have expected the most significant figure in human history to come to the little, out-of-the-way, unimportant place of Israel. That was the first thing we noticed. She was Jewish. But what is more, she was a Nazarene. Not only was Mary from an insignificant country, Israel, she was from an insignificant region, Galilee, and an insignificant town, Nazareth. Even the way, even the way Luke introduces Mary's hometown makes it clear that Nazareth was an out-of-the-way place. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what the angel says. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. It's like Luke is saying, you've probably never heard of it before. It's not like Nazareth of Galilee. It's a city in Galilee named Nazareth. It's, it's not a place you're probably familiar with. I have to tell you about this. This is probably the first time it's ever crossed your lips. Nazareth was not an important place. Even during Jesus' earthly ministry, the unimportance of his hometown caused his pedigree to be consistently questioned. Remember what his opponents or what one of his disciples actually said in John chapter 1 verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, if ever there's an insult about your hometown, that's an insult. So God, in his wisdom, chooses this Jewish girl. He chooses this Nazarene girl. Unimportant place. But there's a kicker. She was a virgin as well. Although Mary's background made her an unlikely candidate to bear the Savior, this one takes the cake. Mary was an unmarried virgin. To put it delicately, this is simply not how things work. This is not how things work. We must be careful not to anesthetize the story of Christ's birth. There is a gritty realism to the story of Jesus coming into the world. Though no doubt there were a few people who believed Mary's account that the baby that she carried was conceived of the Holy Spirit, it is certain that a lot of people did not. Remember, Joseph himself questioned what Mary was saying. We read that over in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. 
verse 19. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. In other words, Joseph didn't buy it. Joseph wasn't going to make her a public spectacle or anything. He was going to do it privately and discreetly, but he was not marrying this woman because he believed that she was unfaithful to him. Think about it for a minute. Could the Lord have told Gabriel to broadcast the arrival of his son all over Nazareth? Could, could God have done that? Could, could Gabriel have come and rather than just appearing to Mary, appeared to the whole town of Nazareth and said, I have an important announcement for you. Mary is carrying a child and that child is from me. Could God have done that? Yes or no? Could God have chosen the people in Nazareth to believe Mary's tale? Like when Mary said, I, I am carrying a child born by the Holy Spirit. Could all of the people said, we're on board with you, Mary. You're a trustworthy girl. We believe every word that you said. Could God have done that? But he didn't. He didn't. He chose to reveal to Mary and Mary alone that the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then after a little bit of time, he chose to reveal only to Joseph. Here's the thing. God chose to bring his son into a socially scandalous situation. God's choice. It's the unlikeliest of birth stories. God could have had Jesus come into a situation where he was applauded, where he was welcomed from the very beginning. But God chose to bring his son into the world, into a situation that he knew would be questioned and downright scandalous. Seems like a really strange way to save the world. Even Mary was mystified. Look at how she responds when the Gabriel reveals God's plan. Verse number 28 of Luke chapter 1. And Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favor one. The Lord is with you. Mary's response. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In other words, Mary was like, You talking to me? What, what do you mean, O favored one? Who are you talking about? That's not me. I don't fit that bill. But friends, should we really be shocked by this? Should we really be surprised that God chose to send Jesus in such a improbable way and use such improbable people? It seems that God likes to do this thing. After all, God made Abraham, the moon-worshiping idolater, into the father of our faith. God made Joseph, the prisoner, into the rescuer of his people. God made David, the shepherd, into Israel's greatest king. And let us not forget that God made Saul, the persecutor, into Paul, the apostle. It seems to me that as I read the Bible, God delights in defying convention. That's just God's thing. He likes to turn the world on its head. He likes to do the surprising. He likes to do the unlikely. The implication is this. God does not simply work through those who appear to have a lot to offer him. On the contrary, the Lord often chooses to work through the seemingly unimpressive, unlikely, and unimportant. This is really good news for regular folks like us. This is really good news for regular people like you and I. Are, are there a string of failures in your past? 
Are you feeling inadequate in your life right now? Is your pedigree insignificant? Are you extraordinarily ordinary? Do you feel that way? Then good. Here's the good news. You are qualified to be used by God. Because God likes to work through improbable people. God likes to use vessels that are unlikely to bring about his wonderful plans. Listen to this very carefully. Inadequacy does not exclude you from usefulness. It qualifies you for it. So praise God, gospel hope is filled with a bunch of inadequate people. I mean, I know firsthand, I ask you to do stuff and man, it's terrible. I'm just kidding, right? Isn't that good news for us? That God loves to work through improbable people. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Not a very flattering introduction, by the way. Here's what he says. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In other words, are you weak? Are you unimpressive? Do you not have a noble birth? Are you not wise by the world standard? God says good because that's exactly the type of people that I like to work through. The Bible is essentially the story of an incomparable God doing impossible things through improbable people. That's the story of the scripture. The God of the universe doing things that you and I could not do on our own through people like you and I, deep with faults and failures and unimpressiveness. And God says, I choose you, not Pokemon, right? This was a truth that was not lost on Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord. I'm this little inadequate girl from this backwoods town And God of the universe has chosen to work through me. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Mary was not impressed with herself, but she was impressed by the God who chose to use her. Mary was blown away that for generations we would revere Mary. And rightfully so, because God chose to work through her. But it wasn't because Mary was super impressive. It was because God is super powerful. And he loves to show himself strong in the lives of improbable people. So if you're weak, if you're unimpressive, if you feel like you don't have much to offer, then rest assured you are just the type of person that God delights to work through. God can work through you, brothers and sisters. And doesn't matter what your track record is, doesn't matter your history, doesn't matter how smart or unsmart you feel, God can work through you because he delights to do impossible things through improbable people. Number two, God works not only through improbable people, but God works for incapable people. Mary strikes another note in her song. 
Not only did God chose to work through her unimpressiveness, God also chose to work for the unable. Look again at what she says in, in verse number 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Mary sees the mighty God coming to the aid of the humble, the hungry, and the helpless. It's no wonder God chose the name Jesus for his son. For fundamentally, Jesus gave, came to save those who couldn't save themselves. That's why Jesus came, and that's why his name is Jesus. It means the Savior, the one who comes to rescue the people that can't rescue themselves. Over and over, this theme is repeated in Scripture that God aids the helpless. God aids the incapable. Look at Psalm 147, verses 7 through 9. Who executes justice for the oppressed? Who gives food for the hungry? The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner. Or Mark chapter 2 verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Or Romans 5, 6, and 8. For while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the savior of the incapable. He came to rescue those who were in a plight that they couldn't get themselves out of. We were stuck. We were doomed. We were damned. We needed a rescuer. And that is why Jesus came. You may have heard the expression today used that God helps those who what? Help themselves. But friends, the message of the Bible is the exact opposite. It's this, God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. There's a story from the life of Jesus that powerfully, powerfully illustrates this idea. A man named Jairus comes to Jesus to ask if, he, if Jesus could heal his ailing daughter. But before the Lord arrives at Jairus' house, messengers come informing him that his daughter has died. Jesus hears this message and looks at Jairus, this grieving father, and says these words. Mark chapter 5, verse 36. Do not fear, only believe. And then he and Jairus begin to walk toward the home. When Jesus arrives, there's mourners gathered around, weeping and crying and making a loud ruckus. Jesus looks at this group of grieving people and says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Those present mock Jesus because they know the girl's dead. The Lord continues undaunted. He gathers the girl's parents and a few of the disciples and goes into where they've laid the body down. Then he takes the child by the hand, very simply says, Talitha Kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. 
and she does. This dead little girl listens to the voice of the Savior and death itself recoils in the presence of Jesus. What is going on here? Why does Jesus say that this little girl is sleeping? I mean, is he confused? Is he mistaken? No. Jesus knew the girl was dead, but he was illustrating something very, very important, namely this. For Jesus, bringing the dead to life is as easy as waking a child from his sleep. For Jesus, even death itself, even the dead, the completely incapable dead are not beyond his reach. Jesus came to rescue completely incapable people. What greater what greater picture of inability is there in all of the scripture than simply this? Death. When you're dead, you don't do anything for yourself. You can't help yourself. You can't rescue yourself. That's the point. You're dead. But when Jesus inserts the picture, even death is not an insurmountable um, obstacle for him. Here's what this means for us, friends. Christ is not just in the business of giving some helpful advice to those who are doing pretty well. Jesus did not come just to advise those along their life's journey, kind of be a life coach, right? No, Jesus is not in that business. Jesus is in the business of bringing dead people back to life. He is strong enough to rescue those, not who are doing pretty well, but rescue those who have no hope within themselves at all. Here's what that means. No one is too far gone. No one is too weak. Dare I say, no one is too dead for the help of Jesus. Jesus can rescue anyone. There is no sinner beyond the scope of Christ's power to save. Jesus came into the world to say, no matter what your circumstance or situation is, no matter how bad you are, no matter how wicked you feel, there is no one, there is absolutely no one who I cannot rescue from their sins. The reason that Mary's heart soared in the Magnificat is because she recognized that Jesus is both surprising in the way he came and surprising in those he came to save. So where does this leave us? I think Mary's song reminds us of this simple idea. I want you to wrap your mind around this. Wrap your mind around this simple concept that I think the Magnificent calls to mind. No believer is unusable and no unbeliever is unsavable. No believer is unusable and no unbeliever is unsavable. Listen, no matter how unimpressive or unqualified you might feel, listen, the Lord can use you. Stop and think about that for a minute. The Lord can use you. I don't care what your past or how short or long you've been a Christian. 
If you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus, the Lord can use you in profound and significant ways. Was Mary impressive, yes or no? No. And yet, did God do something amazing and wonderful in and through Mary? Yes. In fact, Mary herself says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, preaching a message about Mary and the child she born. This insignificant girl from an out-of-the-way place, the Lord used her in profoundly significant ways, and God can use you. The Bible is filled with stories of God doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. So if God is calling you to share your faith, to take on injustice, to minister to the marginalized, to become a missionary, to give sacrificially in generosity, remember the God of the Bible seems to love a good underdog story. He is the inventor of David and Goliath after all. The original one, right? God loves to work through unlikely people and God would delight to work through you. But not only is no unbeliever unusable, no unbeliever is unsavable. Because through the death of Jesus, God hopes helps those who cannot help themselves. No one is beyond the reach of God's mighty arm. You know, there's places in scripture where people question the Lord's power. And God sometimes uses the phrase like this. He says, is my arm too short to save? In other words, there's no one beyond my reach. I can go further than you think. I have more power and more strength than you could dare to imagine. God can save anyone. No one has fallen too far. No one has wandered too long. No one is too bad. No one is too broken No group is unreachable, no region unenterable, no language untranslatable, no culture inscrutable, no darkness impenetrable. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Or to put it in the words of the angel Gabriel, for nothing will be impossible with God. There is no one that God cannot get to because he is God. He is the all-powerful sovereign of the universe. He is the savior of the world. And Jesus came to seek and to save those who seem to be beyond his reach. Brothers and sisters, what do we do about this? Uh, I I think as as the band comes to play here, I think I want to give you some practical ways to think about what we should do about this idea that no believer is unusable And no unbeliever is unsavable. Okay, I want to give you just two ways you can think about that. Are you ready? Can you can you can you give your fingers like this with me? I want you to pray near, say that, and pray far. I promise this is not a Sesame Street lesson. Okay, ready? Pray near, pray far. Okay. What do you mean by that, Ryan? Well, I want you to right now. Think about people that are near in your life that need to hear the wonderful good news that Jesus is the Savior. I want you to get a person or two in view. 
Okay, everybody get at least one or two people's names in view that are near to you. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's somebody that's visited our church. Maybe it's somebody that lives down the street from you. I don't know who it is, but I want you to get one person in your mind that you're like, this person needs to hear about Jesus. And maybe in my heart, I've been acting like either they're unsavable or I'm unusable. Because God wants me to talk to them about this great Savior that I know. I want you to think about one or two people. You got a name in your mind? Everybody got a name in your mind? Okay. We're going to take a minute and pray about that in just a moment. But I also want you to think about this. I want you to pray far. I want you to think about people in our world that have no access to Jesus at all. They have no Bible. They have no church. Maybe there's no Christians in there. We're going to put a slide up here on the screen. You see it right now. Here are some people groups that have no access to the gospel at all. There's no Christians living among them, or very few. They don't have the scriptures in their language. And I want you to pray about this because maybe God would have us in some way to be used by him to see people like that be reached, right? God can use unlikely, improbable people to begin to reach them. Maybe some of us go. Maybe there's two or three or ten people in this room that one day will pack up their bags and they will head across the world to go to people who do not know Jesus at all. Or maybe it's you writing a check, sacrificially saying, you know what, I want to see the cause of Jesus advance in the world and I'm going to sacrifice to make that happen. I don't know what the Lord is calling you to do, but I think, I think we can say on the authority of God's word that God wants us to be concerned about the people right next door. And God wants us to be concerned about the people that don't know him around the world, right? So can we pray near and pray far? So what we're going to do is just take a minute and I'd like you to just talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord about those one or two people in your life that are right there. And then talk to the Lord about the people in the world that do not know, as we've been talking about with our global missions offering coming up. There are 2.8 billion people that do not know Jesus in the world. May God use us in some way, improbable as we are, to take the gospel to impossible places. Can we just quietly pray? before the Lord and ask the Lord to do that work in our heart. Let's just quietly pray for about a minute there. Merciful Father, we thank you for sending Jesus into the world to rescue unlikely people like us. And I pray that we would enter in to your great work of saving the world. Lord, we just commit ourselves to you right now. We come with open hands and say, Lord, use us unlikely people and do impossible things through us because nothing is too hard for you. Lord, would you give us a burden for those right across the street and would you give a burden for those across the world? And I pray that gospel hope would be a place marked by compassion for those who do not know the Savior. 
use us unlikely people. In the name of Christ, we pray.